This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. For those of you that are uh, maybe jumping on online, I uh, appreciate you joining us. Just to let you know, my name is Dee Bacon. For those of you that have short-term memory issues here and with us, uh, my name is Dee Bacon, just to help you out with that. Uh, remind you of that. Glad you're here with us uh, to be part of that. And that that song, that little song that comes on when we have the uh, the title slide, that doesn't that just will make you just start want to go oh, like hear it. Anyway, I'm I'm strange. I'm really thrilled that you made the decision to be with us today, and uh, partake in you know be part of this gathering. Scripture tells us, those of us who are Jesus followers, not to forsake the gathering, not to forsake the commitment to gather with your brothers and sisters, however that looks now, and to spur them on to love and good deeds. And that's what we're doing. It's an honor for me to be able to share with you what uh, the Lord is speaking to me as I go through my process of study and preparation for the message. And we're going through the book of James. We're working through wise words, uh, you know, words to live by, the theme of James. James being a brother, a leader in the first century church, a half-brother of Jesus. Uh, James is writing a letter that really communicates wisdom. Wisdom being the right thing in the right way at the right time for the right results. Wisdom that comes from, from God. And today, what I'd like us to do as we continue our series is uh, take a moment to, to focus on one verse, one small verse, but to do a deep dive into that verse, to go to the depths of what that means and to, to really wrestle with how it speaks to each of us you know, it reminds me of the time when I was a, a teenager. We would camp at a place called Inyanga, which was in the eastern highlands of Zimbabwe when I was growing up. Beautiful, beautiful part of the country. And uh, I remember one time, never forget this, we went swimming, and the place we went swimming was on this river, and it had this high rock or hill or cliff. I, I can't remember. I just remember it was pretty high. And, of course, what you did at that place was you climbed to the top, and then you jumped off into the river, and at the place we jumped was like a pool. It was a smallish pool, but it was really deep, really deep. And so I remember climbing to the top of the cliff, and it was so high that I would work up a sweat from the work of climbing up there. That's when you know it's pretty high, and the eastern highlands of Africa are not necessarily hot. They're, they're pretty cool, but the climb really wore me out, and so we got to the top of the rock, and I just remember standing there, and those of you that have ever jumped off a high cliff or a board into water, never, ever look down. This is, I just don't recommend it, because all of a sudden you'd be like, eh, no way. So we get to the top, and of course, as we all do, we encourage each other, and I just pew, jumped. And I remember going down, and you know it's high when you're going down and you're thinking, man, this is taking a long time to get down to the bottom. The rushing air, whoosh, and then bang, you hit your feet in the water, and all of a sudden you find yourself in this dark, cold place. You go from the top, 
down to the depths. You go from the top through the warm layer of water on the, that's up there where you normally swim down into the depths where it's ice cold. And I remember being there and you, all of a sudden you start to panic, right? You're like, <gasps> what's going to happen? You look up and you see that the, the surface of the, of the water looks like it's miles and miles away. It's just as light. And as they always say, when you see the light, go to the light. So I started swimming to the light. I come up, of course, you scream, you shout because, you, you know, you're just glad to be alive. And then what do you do? You have to do it all over again, right? You have to climb back up. Well, today I would like for you to join me as we do a high jump and deep dive into one passage of Scripture. Passage of Scripture that's found in the second chapter of James. It comes at the end of the teaching that we heard from when we, Aaron was talking last week. We were talking about uh, painting people with a thin brush. In this part of the chapter, James basically says, showing prejudice, showing favoritism to people based upon their economic status is a sin. And the reason why it's a sin is really captured in this verse. The why as to why prejudice is a sin, why the practice of treating people differently based upon whatever you see on the surface is a sin and against what God wants for our life and against the way He prescribed for His followers to live is captured in this verse. James chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version here. James chapter 2, verse 8. James says this, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, now understand here when he's, he's, dressing, he's addressing New Testament Christians who wouldn't have had our New Testament Bible. They wouldn't have had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the stuff that we have. Their Scriptures was the Scriptures of the Old Testament, the Scriptures that were communicated to the people of God, the Israelites, the law and the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs and all that stuff on the front half of your Bible, Right? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. You are living right. You are walking right with God. Let me repeat that. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. All right, one little verse. Are you ready for a deep dive? Are you ready to jump off the cliff, as it were, and get to the depths that's found in this text? Let's do this. Let's take it piece by piece and really dwell on what he's saying. First and foremost, why is it called the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself, he says, is the royal law. What does that mean? Well, literally, the word is the law of the king. Law of the king, and if you think about it, what he's saying really carries two meanings that I think are intended to both be communicated at the same time by this phrase, the royal law. First of all, he's saying this is a law that comes from, originates from the king, from the king of, of Scripture. And who is the king of Scripture? God himself the ruler of the universe, the maker of all things, the definer of what is right and what is wrong, the lawgiver. The one who communicated to, to his people, this is what it looks like to live right with me within the, the bounds of my creation. If you want to walk with me, this is how you're to live. This law comes from the king, and, and the emphasis is like this is the law of the king, capital T. 
But also there's the meaning that this law is, is in the list of all the laws that God has given to us, all the communications that, that God has presented to us from the Ten Commandments to all the other things that we're told about God and how to live for God contained for us in Scripture. This one would be listed as number one. If you want to know what it means to live right with God, if you want to have a summary of all the scriptures that we have received on how to live for God, this is the one. This is the main one. This is the one that captures it all. Now, we find the Apostle Paul expanding on this in his letter to the Romans. He's writing to Christians on how to live right with God once they're made right with God through faith in Jesus. And this is what he says, Romans chapter 13. Verse 8, let's, let's all listen to it as one body here. He says, Owe nothing to anyone, don't be in debt, don't, don't stay in debt. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery. He's now making reference to the Ten Commandments that are found in, in the Old Testament. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. If you want to know what it looks like to live right with God and right with others, here it is, the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the next question needs to be then, if we think about that, okay, love my neighbor as myself, what does that mean? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love as myself? My neighbor. Who's that? Now, those of us that kind of grew up in Sunday school, those of us that are somewhat familiar with the stories of the Bible, may recognize this question because it pops up somewhere else. And particularly, it pops up in a conversation that Jesus had contained for us in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had with a, an expert, a PhD in Scriptures. This expert in the law asked Jesus the question, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? It was a, it was a theological, biblical uh, t question that he posed Jesus. And the question, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I receive everything that God has promised me? How do I live right with God so that I might live a life for God? How do I inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus, knowing that this man was an expert in the law, turned it on him and said, well, what, what, what do you see? What do you, what, do you, what do you say then? The man answered, well, I inherit eternal life by love the Lord your God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and all my mind. I love God with everything and love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, you got it. You answered correctly. Good job, dude. I don't know if he said, dude, but that was the thing. <laughs> then the story says, then the man wanting to justify himself, the man wanting to continue on in his success, wanting to, to make sure he was right, posed the question, well, then who is my neighbor? Here's our question. And Jesus answered in a story. Jesus answered in a story, a story that perhaps many of us know as the story of the Good Samaritan. I prefer to call it in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 to 37, the story of the Samaritan who stepped across the prejudice line and rescued a Jew. 
Because that's really the heart of the story. We, we talk about the Good Samaritan, a lot of times we don't really understand what that's all about. The truth is, is this is a story of a Samaritan who stepped across the prejudice line and helped a Jew in need. In order to understand the full weight of this story, we have to really understand and dive into the, the cultural background. Jews in the time of Jesus and Samaritans hated each other. And it was a hate that, that had a deep history. It was a hate that, that was embedded in, in wounds and, and offenses of the past. The Samaritans were a people group that had settled in the land of Israel after most of the Jews had been taken out to Babylon to exile. And they were, the, they were Jews who had intermarried, intermingled with other peoples and incorporated with their worship of God, the worship practices of these other peoples. And so they had kind of had a hodgepodge of, of a system of worship that was kind of worshiping the God of the Bible, but wasn't really the same, it wasn't legit as the, the worship of the Bible as prescribed in Scripture. Their center of worship was a place called Mount Gerizim. The Jewish center of worship was centered around the temple in Jerusalem. And when the people of Israel returned from exile in Babylon, the story is, is that they settled around Jerusalem. They settled in the southern part that we now know as Judea in the time of Jesus. They settled there, and they were given grief by the Samaritans. And so this animosity began. They were like cousins that really didn't like each other, and they, they, they were really uh, avoided each other. And, and during Jesus' time, you had Jews that were settled in the south around Jerusalem, and then there were the Samaritans who were kind of in the middle in that place, and then to the north was the region of Galilee. And they hated each other so much that travel between, between Galilee and, and, and Judea by the Jews, what they would do, they would go across the Jordan and come down, avoid the region of Samaritans, so they wouldn't interact with these people that they hated so badly. Now, I want you to understand this historical situation to really appreciate where Jesus is going in answering the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story about a man, a Jew, traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho. The road is a dangerous road, well known at that time to be thwart with, with, with bad things happening. It's like I-75 South from, from, from Cincinnati to Atlanta, horrible road right? Man's traveling along. He gets jumped by robbers. They beat him to an inch of his life, leave him there stripped, naked, bleeding, dying on the side of the road. Jesus says, the robber is left, and along comes a man. You think, well, this man is going to be a help, a source of, of aid, because the man, Jesus says, is a priest. Priests at that time were, were part of the tribe, a special clan of the tribe of Levi who were designated to facilitate worship in the temple. Based upon the story, you figure, well, this, this, this priest is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to work. We would say he's a clergyman, a man of God, a man who's facilitating the worship of God, a man who understands Scripture and is trying to live out the Bible. Well, Jesus said the priest comes along, sees the man, and does what? He gives him a wide berth and walks on and leaves him to die. Then comes along a Levite. A Levite, the, Le the tribe of Levi, were, was a tribe specially designated to be the servants of God to the people. To the people. 
Those that were not of the special clan that were priests, the rest of them were, were really, we would call them ministers. We would call them individuals that were, were set aside to serve the community regarding matters of faith, regarding matters of living out the law. These were the guys in the town that everyone would go to to deal with legal matters when it came to understanding how the Bible applied to, to the way they treated each other. These were the guys that, that were, would be servants at the temple. They wouldn't perhaps be facilitating worship, but the Levites were the ones that would probably clean the temple and provide security and, you know, the individuals that would be the members of the choir that sang in the worship at the temple and would facilitate the collection of the money and, and sort of all the business of the church, of the, of the temple in place. The Levites were people, men of God. But Jesus says the Levite comes along, sees this man laying on the side of the road, and what does he do? Gives him a wide berth and keeps going on. Now remember, Jesus is intentionally selecting the characters of the story to make a point to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Then Jesus says, a man comes along and he's a Samaritan. Now I'm sure when he said that, the crowd who were listening to him, Jews, they probably hissed. You know, whenever the bad guy gets on stage in some of these pantomimes, everyone goes, boo, ska, all right? That's probably the feeling that's going on. He says, a Samaritan comes along. And of course, everyone expects a Samaritan to do what, what, what everyone knows Samaritans do. He's probably going to walk up to the guy and kick him and finish him off, right? But no, Jesus says, the Samaritan sees the man, has compassion on him, and does what is completely unexpected. He tends his wounds puts the man on his own donkey, takes him to a place, an inn, where he can be cared for. He not only takes him to the hospital, if you'd like, he then makes sure he covers all the cost for not only this man's stay at that moment, but the man's stay during the duration of his recovery. Then Jesus asked the expert of the law, Tell me, who was neighborly? Who demonstrated the principle of love your neighbor as you love yourself? Chapter 10, verse 37. Chapter 10, verse 37. This is what the man said. It said, the expert in the law replied, the one, <laughs> you can't even say Samaritan, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor is the person that I see who's in need and I respond to their need and go above and beyond what's expected, even to the point of shocking those who know me and know the circumstances. You know, a lot of times we focus on the fact that the Samaritan and the, and, the, and the Jew and the animosity between them, but understand Jesus is doing that to make a point. He's using the extremes for shock value to make a point. The point is, is that the, the Samaritan exemplifies what it means to love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is someone who identifies someone in need and responds with what God has given her to bless and to honor the other, even if that means crossing some kind of barrier, prejudice, hate, unforgiveness. Who is my neighbor? Sometimes your neighbor may be your spouse. 
whom you need to see in her predicament and her struggle and step up, guys, to help her. Sometimes your neighbor may be your husband, ladies, who need you, need you not to, to nag him with one more thing, but instead seek to, to bless him and honor him as he deals with a world that constantly challenges the question that all of us men have, do I have what it takes? Who is my neighbor? Your neighbor may be that person that has offended you deeply, that you need to let go of the offense and not hold them against them and forgive as you have been forgiven. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor may be that person who has a different, different political sign in their yard whom you engage in honorable conversation regarding political views but still extend kindness and grace toward whenever they're in need. My neighbor is that person that I see from God's perspective and take action with God's resources in order to bless even if it is shocking to the world, even if it means crossing a barrier that has been constructed by, by, by ourselves that limit us from being open to another. Who is my neighbor? Let's go even deeper. I heard a preacher say that what's deep for us is typically what's personal, you know? I mean, who, what's the, who are the driving force between the organization Mothers Against Drunk Drivers? Mothers who have lost children to a drunk driver, right? They're passionate about it. It's deep for them. Why? Because it's so personal. Well, let's take this question to the personal level. Each one of us, let's ask the question. If we, why is it the royal law? Who is my neighbor? Let's ask the question, what does love your neighbor as yourself look like for me? What does love your neighbor as yourself look for like for me? Now, as we all contemplate this question, I'd like for us to look to the words of Jesus as a guide for us because our tendency is to water down this serious challenge because the truth is, is that for us to love our neighbor as ourselves is not natural. It's, it's not within us by ourselves. It, it, it's a Herculean task that's actually beyond us. It's not natural, but we're not called to live in the natural as Jesus follows. We're called to live in the supernatural, right? It's not natural for us to, to love our neighbor as ourselves, but with all things, all things are possible with God. God's Spirit in us we who are being called His children by, by grace through faith in Jesus now are invited into the family business, and the family business is love your neighbor as yourself. You see, we are saved by grace, and therefore we're called to live by grace. And love your neighbor is living by grace. So we have the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, in, in part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says. He said, you've heard it said amongst the law, amongst you Jews, right? You've heard it said, 
love your enemy, hate, love, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But he says this, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mis mistreat you. I'm reading this and I'm like, that is messed up. That is so upside down. That's not fair. That's, that's namby-pamby because, quite honestly, you punch me, I'm going to punch you back. That's fair, right? You hurt me and mine, I'm going to defend me and mine, and I'm going to come at you back because that's fair. That's right. That's justice. That's how we operate in this world. But the truth is, is that God has called us not to live by fair, but to live by grace. Why? Because He, through Jesus, has extended us grace. How many of you want God to treat you fairly? And if you put your hand up, you're going to be in trouble. <clears throat> I don't want God treating me fairly. Do I want to get what I deserve in terms of how I have offended God? No, I don't. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And Didi, you have sinned. You have done things that have fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, I don't want God to treat me fairly. I want grace. I want God to treat me, believe it or not, upside down in terms of that. And I'm grateful for Jesus. And so if I stand before God and say, God, I don't want you to treat me fairly because I just want to tell you I'm with him, that guy sitting to your right, because his life was sacrificed for mine, and he offered it up, innocent life, the value equal to the offenses that I was due to pay, and I'm grateful that he offered it up, that I, I accept by faith, because I, I, I want to live by grace. And, and the message is, is that if you are saved by grace, therefore you become God's conduit of grace a child of God who's called to be in the family business of God. We cannot say we're saved by grace yet operate with everyone else by law and fair. No, we're to operate by grace. That's why now this that Jesus says makes sense. What does love your neighbor as yourself look like? If you're a Jesus follower, this is what it can look like. Verse 31 of Luke chapter 6. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that for you, to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind and ungrateful to, uh, kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You know, it's in the same sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus gives instruction on how to pray. We're told in, in other places his disciples said, teach us how to pray. 
and he responded in the same way, and he taught what was called the Lord's Prayer. How many of you are familiar? I learned the Lord's Prayer in, in the King James. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name, right? Remember that? Well, it's a model prayer. It's not meant to be recited. Uh, it's good to recite it because it, it provides a model, but it actually gives you structure as to how to approach prayer, how to speak to God, our Father, as Jesus said we are to. It's a model prayer. But in that model prayer, after our Father, the addressing of God, hallowed, holy is your name, what's the first ask? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the first ask? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the first ask? The first ask is a submission to the lordship, to the leadership, to the kingship of God, right? Your kingdom come, your rules, your will, your oversight, your kingdom come, your will be done. What people will do in your kingdom will be obedient to you, the king. When we pray that prayer, what we're asking is for God's kingdom to be here, where? On earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? That means today. That means now. That means in this moment. That means in our decisions. That means in our present tense. We pray this prayer for God's kingdom to come here and now. And what does his kingdom look like? His kingdom where his royal law is lived out. What does it look like? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to see the kingdom of God happen in your community? You want to see the kingdom of God happen in your marriage, happen in your rearing of your children, happen in the dealings with your neighbors, happen to, in where you are at work? You want to see the kingdom of God happen when it comes to the issue of abortion, when it comes to the issue of, of workers' rights, when it comes to the issue of, of, of prejudice? You want to see the kingdom of God happen in our lives and the transformation that occurs when people are transformed from the inside out by being, being people who come to grace and live by the Spirit of God where the kingdom of God rules? You want to see that happen? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Twenty twenty. Right now it's a bad word. But I'm gonna challenge you to change that perspective. And see, 2020 is an opportunity that God has given us to see things clearly as they are. That we, who are Jesus followers, are, the citizen, are citizens first of heaven. And the kingdom come, the will be done, is us loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and how that applies to our day-to-day -day living. Of course, that's founded on the first, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. God's, God's will, God's ways, priority. That's why it's called a royal law and the royal law and how I deal with people around me. How I deal with people around me is love your neighbor as yourself. I see people as God sees them and I give to them what God gives to me in order to bless their life. What would happen to our community 
what would happen to our community if the kingdom of God as represented it here at Mount Carmel Christian Church? What would happen to Claremont County if the kingdom of God as represented as here at Mount Carmel Christian Church began to practice the royal law with all the resources that God provides? What would happen? What kind of community would we have? When we loved our neighbors as ourselves, what kind of school would we have? What kind of divorce rates would we have? What kind of abortion rates would we have? What kind of workers would we have? What kind of neighborliness would we have? What kind of, 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 of politicians would we have? See, I believe that we are at a time where perhaps <laughs> Our world has been shaken, and 2020 vision involves that we're beginning to see clearly what has become our idols. Our idols are those things that we put our faith in that become the source of security and safety. And guess what? Many of us have lost sight of who's the source of our safety and security, the King, Jesus. And we put our safety and our security in our guy in office and our policies being enacted and our people, doing, people around us doing whatever and us keeping safe from, the, from, from all disease, whatever that may be, and, and we've been shaken. And my prayer is to give thanks for that shakenness because guess what? We now have 20-20 vision as to what's important. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Love your neighbor as yourself. God has provided everything. Peter is this beautiful passage. He says, God, by His Spirit, provides us everything we need for a life of godliness and righteousness. This is not a time to shrink back and to be discouraged and to be wrapped up in anxiety. No, this is a time to live out the royal law and to acknowledge who's our king and to live by the call for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.